Good evening, good evening, good evening. This is Angelus. This is episode 8 of Story Mode, the podcast for Storyboard. On this podcast, I give reviews, news, and other views on the hobby, the industry, and design around games. This episode features my encounters and engagement with the UK Games Expo 2019 here in Birmingham. I'm recording from my hotel in Birmingham, and after the let's say sound troubles that I had in the last podcast recording in Bangkok, I have made a couple of options to create a makeshift sound booth. So hopefully the sound of this podcast is so much better than the previous one. In this episode, I have a couple of sections I want to cover. So first of all, I'm going to be going over my general impressions of UK Games Expo and whether you as a punter might wish to visit this. Second, I'm going to cover a an incident that happened at UK Games Expo on Friday evening in the role-playing area. It is a topic that goes into uh, sexual assault, so please be mindful of that if you want to listen to that section. It also covers what the Expo's response to that incident was. Following that, I'm going to cover the games, because I know most of you are really interested to hear What were the games on show? What my takes were? What I encountered? Because, you know, games are kind of like the centipoise of these events. I have a couple of highlights from the the show, and I have a couple of really interesting first impressions. And last but not least, I got really caught up with the Clock Tower people because they were demoing at the expo. Even though it's a game that I know, it was a highlight for me at this expo anyway. So we have just had the UK Games Expo 2019. I'm going to take a chance to reflect on my experiences at this event, which has been my first of its kind. One of the mistakes that I made that I'm going to put down on the table so that other people are potentially coming to this expo for the first time, the convention itself is not held in the central area of Birmingham. There is an international airport in Birmingham and around it are a whole bunch of exhibition centers and resorts. And this little area is where the convention takes place in the National Exhibition Center. If you're looking to get accommodation and you're wanting to get accommodation close to the event itself, you want to look at the accommodation in that area. It will be more expensive, but that is what you're paying for. A lot of people, including myself, stayed in Birmingham Central, It's a train ride away. It's about 13 kilometers away from the convention area. And it's actually reasonably easy to catch a train there. But the trick is there are slow trains and there are fast trains. A slow train could take anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour to get from Birmingham Central to Birmingham International Airport. Whereas a quick train can be something like 10 minutes. So it is one of those things that locals understand. But if you can get your head around it, you might be able to make an informed choice as to whether you want to pay the extra money to stay at the international area or possibly slightly less money to stay at Birmingham Central. So it was just one of those things that caught me by surprise. It's one thing that's easy to manage if you know how to plan for it. So I'm just going to put that on the table right now. It's a couple of pounds either way if you're traveling off peak. And Birmingham itself is quite lovely. I will say I was slightly disappointed on a personal level to get there and discover that Birmingham Pride was the week before. So I I did a bit of a tour around Birmingham city centre and I saw all the Pride flags and content all still up. And I was particularly excited because I thought I was going to see Birmingham Pride in that same period. And if you don't know, 
Origins Trade Fair happens at the same time as Columbus Pride. So this would have just been a little bit of a, a piece de resistance for this trip where Birmingham Pride, UK Games Expo, Columbus Pride, Origins Games Fair. But the timing is off by one week and it was just been a perfect experience. My first major impression is that the UKGE is very similar to Origins. The reason I say that is they both have a fairly laid-back atmosphere. There's a lot going on, but I don't feel like I'm having to rush through things. I don't feel like I'm being inundated by everything going on. The way it's set up is there are two main halls, or one, hall two, etc., etc. The first hall is pretty much just packed with publishers, booze, and all sorts of things like that. The second hall is kind of half and half. So about half of it will be filled up with publishers, and there tends to be more of the role-playing stuff I've seen in this area. And the other half represents organized play and tournament play. There was also a third hall dedicated specifically to sort of open play. I think in one sense, UKGE does better than Origins does at providing places to play. I know it is a long-standing and ongoing issue that can be really hard just to find some space at Origins. And often, Origins has tried to monetize these spaces, much to their own detriment. So this is definitely something that UKGE does better. I will say it was frustrating as all heck to try and figure out what games were on display at UKGE. So BGG doesn't really have a presence here. And because they don't really have a presence, they don't do like that show preview that they do for a lot of the other games. UKGE doesn't really provide an accessible or useful means of identifying what games in your releases, identifying stuff. It's there, but it's a lot harder to pick through. There are two external people that often aggregate this information, and that's been really, really good. Uh, Slicker Dips and Table Together. They both provide tools and utilities that let you sort of go through that. And I certainly use Table Together's platform. It's an excellent tool for sort of planning your convention. I also note that because UKGE and Origins are roughly like they're two weeks out from each other, there is a lot of overlap. So while I am doing both this year, I can certainly see that it may not be to everyone's interest to do both. I feel that UKGE is Europe's version of Origins. So which one you go to is pretty much going to be which continent you're on. This is by way of a substitute for the retail segment that I normally do. Obviously, having been away from the shop, I don't really have any stories to share from my time in the shop. That being said, my experience working the sales side of this kind of industry gives me a bit of a critical eye when it comes to how companies and publishers present themselves at these conventions. It's very easy for me, I guess, when I'm at these conventions to stalk through the hallways and quietly observe the various stands. And these are kind of obvious ideas when you look at the way that a stand presents itself and what invites people over. I saw games with various levels of polish. And unfortunately, that the presentation of your stand is a big factor in what draws people to the booth. 
And my personal observation, I could see an incredible correlation between those who had polished presentations at their booth to attendance. And there was part of me that observes those people who are clearly bored and sitting quiet at their booth. I entirely sympathize with that. I have those boring moments at work where just it's dead and you want to interact with people. But there's also certain instances where it's clear that the person at the table, maybe the designer, but they're not the game's best salesperson. Sales and presentation and PR and public interactions is entirely its own skill set. And one of the successful marks of a business plan is when it's a skill set you don't have and when it's a skill set you can't reasonably teach yourself that it's so vital for the success of your business, you really should be looking at hiring someone to do that work for you. And I appreciate this is a big ask for this industry where margins are tight and everyone's sort of flying off shoestring purses. I don't know if that's the actual phrase, but I'm going to stick with it, whatever. But it, it has such a big deal when you have such a small time to make an impression, when you have such a small capacity to make a meaningful interaction with the public there, you absolutely need to put your best foot forward. So I think ensuring that a really good salesperson is on your store is something that you should factor in into the cost of an expo. It could be the difference between selling some of your stock and selling out of your stock. As a slight segue from that, I'm pleased to announce that the business cards that I developed for this convention have made a very big impact. They were a point of discussion upon handing over, and that's what you want. When I was getting ready for this convention, I had to make a new print run of my business cards, and I was looking at them going, this is nice, it has all the information, but it didn't really do anything different. There wasn't really anything noteworthy about the card. And so I made a conscious decision to make a card the feature, something like a token of memory. And I minimized the information down to the absolute necessity. I got a little bit of flack when I put it together by not having an email address listed on it. All it has is a website address. And given the main point of this card is to create that point of contact. So something you can remember or something that's going to stand out about that encounter. The card has served its purpose. People were delighted with the slim size of the card. It's, it's about the size of a stick of gum. People were delighted with the sort of full illustration. It was something different and it, it became a talking point. So by most measures, this business card has left an impression. It just took a little bit of thought of what can I do that's different about this card to make it a success. And the reason I bring this up, apart from I'm actually pretty happy with the outcome, the reason I bring this up is this is the sort of mentality you need to bring to the presentation of your stand. What can I do that's going to engage people? Not how am I going to pitch and sell games? How am I going to form a meaningful moment of interaction with these strangers? How am I going to be memorable to these people? How am I going to be fun? There is just a lot of competition for attention. There's a lot of competition for eyes on your stand, but people remember experiences. In this section, I'm going to be covering an incident that happened at UKGE on Friday afternoon. This segment will touch upon the topic of sexual assault so you need to be aware of this before listening to this segment. 
In brief, what had happened on Friday afternoon, a GM volunteer was running a segment of Things from the Flood. During this segment, it transpired that the GM ran an encounter where all the players were abducted and sexually assaulted. This was not discussed with players at hand, and the subject matter was not something that they sought consent on in any way, shape, or form. The GM reportedly said that he did it for shock value. The the alarm was first raised on social media, primarily Twitter, where the individuals were understandably shell-shocked by this particular encounter. One thing that it's important to underscore in this, things from the flood, the protagonists are teenagers. So there's already a concern when the players are projecting themselves into this mindset to then be exposed to this encounter. Once the issue had been raised with UKGE, the response was very swift and unequivocal. The administration, not only did they remove the game, they removed the individual and effectively banned him from all future conventions. They noted that there is a submission process when it comes to games, and had this been part of the submission process, the game would have been rejected. Now, having a look online where the discussion has been happening, most of the discussion has been very supportive in response to those people who are affected by this encounter. There has been very minor rumblings that I've seen in reaction to people saying that this is some kind of censorship or there should be no holds barred when it comes to any kind of topics. But of course, that's ludicrous. We are talking about a large scale convention where strangers are coming to play games run for them by a stranger. Sensitive topics such as sexual assault simulated through role play are quite visceral experiences. And to ask people who have absolutely no relationship prior to sit down and indulge this type of experience is unacceptable. So I think the UKGE's response to this was correct. And I will fully back them on this. If, if only because it sends a strong message to people who are survivors of sexual assault that this conference is safe. And while this unfortunate incident did transpire, it shows that the administration is taking serious attempts to clamp down, respond to, and eliminate this as a source of insecurity for people attending these conferences. And I'm sorry, but I'm going, I'm not sorry, actually. I'm going to be 100% behind making a space safe for survivors of sexual assault, as opposed to making a space proactively capable of doing these kind of edgy topics in role-playing for a public audience. That's ludicrous to think of it. I mean, there's, there's two possibilities. Either there was malice, in which case the GM was intentionally trying to use this topic to put people in uncomfortable, awkward, and horrifying positions. And, and that's just disgusting. Or alternatively, there was just unaware of the kind of impact this sort of thing would happen upon them. So in that ignorance, that's totally inappropriate for a person to be in a position of running games for strangers when it deals with such highly sensitive topics. So whether through ignorance or malice, it is absolutely inappropriate for this person to be running games until they can demonstrate that this is the sort of thing they will not do. So the uptick from this is I think other conventions should pay close attention to this response. A zero tolerance policy on sexual assault, a zero tolerance policy on 
subjecting people to that kind of content without their consent because they have liabilities when it comes down to it. Let's say that someone had a post-traumatic um, stress response to this encounter and that it caused psychological damage. The expo has a level of liability for that. They absolutely need to cover their ass and they absolutely need to ensure that people like this adhere to a particular conduct as they represent the event. So yeah, I, I can already feel a level of anger bubbling up from me when I'm sort of getting to this topic. I don't talk about this often, but I myself am a survivor. So this is something that sits close with me. So thank you, UK Expo, for taking charge quickly and swiftly on this. All right, so let's talk about the games that were available at UKGE. I certainly saw we are in full swing of the roll and write craze. There was, and I think this is not an, a complete list, no less than six or seven new roll and writes that were being presented at the convention. Now, while some of them have been released prior to the convention, they were the feature release for more than a couple of publishers. Now, this includes Imperial Settlers Roll and Write from Portal Games. It includes Hex Roller, Lantern's Dice from Renegade Games, Second Chance from Spielwiese, the Uwe Rosenberg spin-off. There was Welcome to Dino World from Alicat Games. There's, and there was, I'm pretty sure there was a couple of others that are just not coming to mind. But definitely there is this new presence of dice, dice adaptation games that are prominently Roll and Write. I didn't get a chance to play many of these. I will be seeing more of these over at Origins. And for me, given how short UKGE is, three days, compared to Origins, which is about five days, I had to prioritize a bunch of things. So games that I thought I could only really see at UKGE, or I wanted to definitely see at UKGE, they got my attention first. Stuff that I think I can also get at Origins, I'll be having a look at there. It's interesting. I have only picked up two games here at UKGE. Bosk from Flabgate Games and by Daryl Andrews and Erica Buyuris. Daryl Andrews also having worked previously with Floodgate Games to bring out Sagrada. The other game that I picked up was Villagers by Hacken Holgada from Sinister Games. And do you know what? This was the first time that I came to a convention with a very specific view of fewer but better. You may have heard me before saying this mantra, and this is very much the direction I'm trying to take Storyboard towards. I don't want to be covering every game. I want to put a little bit of research into what I'm looking at beforehand, figuring out which games I think are the best for the type of content I want to create, and then covering them. So a little bit of research beforehand goes a long way to making sure I filter proactively what games go into my collection. And the result has been, I've picked up two games and I've absolutely loved both of them. So a little bit, I've played Villagers more than a couple of times. It is a card game and it's just so easy to get to the table, so easy to teach. And yet there's a lot to get out of it. I played Bosk only once. And again, despite the sort of initial setup of putting everything together and despite the double intersecting game, it's actually pretty easy to teach. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about both of these games. Let's start with Villagers, the one that I played the most. 
Villagers is a tableau building, production line, hand management kind of game. You're going to play in several rounds where you draft cards from the central table and then play them into your tableau to build chain. And it's about having the most money at the end of the game. So each of these production lines are towards the point of getting money. There are two other factors that you want to manage. One of them is the amount of food you have, and that indicates how many cards you get to draft. And the other being your building capacity, which is how many cards you get to put into play. I'm not going to go... I'm not going to go into all the details about those production lines, but they sort of create interesting combinations and flows. You sometimes need to build stuff in based on what other people have in play, and there'll be interesting differences of costs. But while there's a lot of little details here and there, the overall structure of the game is quite straightforward. And yet there's enough variability in what is offered in the cards that you can still have a good amount of discovery going on. I can see after already playing three times, I've got a good sense of the scope of the game. And and so this just sort of raises a little bit of a question for me as to its replayability and shelf span. But while I've been playing it, I have had a wonderful time. The other game, Bosk, is an area control forest game. And having played it once, it is already replacing photosynthesis for me. Now, this is not to say that Bosk and Photosynthesis play the same, but for me, they offer enough of a similar experience that I think I'm only going to keep one. They're both area control forest games. What Bosk does is offer you two different mini games. And the first mini game provides the groundwork for the second mini game. We've seen stuff like this before. The main one that I can think of is Blue Lagoon from Blue Orange Games where you have two phases of roughly the same game, but some of the stuff that you do in the first round provides the groundwork for what you need to do in the second round. With Bosk, you have a tree planting mini game, and then you have a leaf tossing or a leaf, and then you have a leaf placement mini game. One of the clever things that this game does is it uses a grid map divided into various territories. And in the first mini game, you take turns placing trees on the vertices of those grids. And then you score each row and each column based on numerical majority. So whoever's trees have the aggregate highest value in each of those. But then from those trees, you will drop leaves in the direction of wind. And you want to have leaves covering the majority of squares on the various different territories. I found that in playing the game, I still didn't completely understand the strategy of what I needed to do to figure out placement. And this is interesting for me. So the first mini game, when you're placing the trees on a grid, is engrossing enough and calculating enough that I think it's hard to do the double think of planning for this round and planning for next round. I think there's some capacity to look at the next round and make a bit of planning so you sort of cover bases, making sure you have presence in different areas of the board. But because the wind is such a variable factor, I think it places that calculus, the exact calculus of how your leaves are going to fall right outside the range of most people's mental load. And I think it just gets future problem, future problem. So that's quite clever, actually. The second game, you take turns dropping leaves in the direction of wind, and that changes each round. You have to make decisions around how many leaves you're going to drop in a particular round, and that influences the turn order for the next round. And as you might imagine, 
Going first has some advantages. It's more cost-effective to put leads down when you go first. By going last, you have better control over key outputs so you can focus your resources better. And getting back to that initial claim of why I think this is going to replace photosynthesis for me, I thought photosynthesis three-dimensional structure was very clever and I really enjoyed it. But they're both area controlled games. And I found photosynthesis was good with a minor flaw. Here, I have two really good mini games and they build organically upon each other. So as far as I'm concerned, Bosk has been the biggest impression upon me at this convention. One of the games I got to try out as a demo was presented by Czech Games Editions and it's called Letter Jam. It is the latest in their series of parlor games. I had a conversation with Paul Grogan from Gaming Rules Videos who tirelessly sacrifices himself of the altar of demoing their games. And you can see in the wake of the success of Codenames, they have been doing a lot to provide more options for this subgenre of party games, which I'm calling parlor games. And Paul and I in conversation really agree with the terminology to try and identify what makes this series of games distinct. And obviously, apart from code names, I'm talking about Pictomania, Trap Words, Just Ones from Repost Productions, and now the newest entry, Letter Jam. Letter Jam is a cooperative word solving game. And the way it works is everyone gets a bunch of letters scrambled up and either it'll be put together by the person to their left or done anonymously by a centralized app. So you will start with a series of letters face down in front of you and they will form a word. They're shuffled, so the order of those letters are random and your task is to figure out what your word is and help everyone else to figure out what their words are. Each round, one of your letters will be visible to everyone except you. So it's got that Hanabi dynamic of you can see everyone else's letters except yours. And collectively, you have to decide who gets to give a clue. That clue creates a word using the visible letters from active players, but also from dummy players for every person not there that's up to six. And so everyone makes a bid on words that they can create from the letters that they can see. Each active player will have a letter in front of them. And for every player not in play, a dummy card is put up just so that there is always six letters in the circle. And there is a wild letter on the table, which can be anything. And then as a group, you decide on which of these offers to follow up. And people individually need to figure out what their letter is based on the gap that they can't see. You have a certain number of rounds for everyone to try and solve their letters. When you think you're confident of what a letter is, you move on to the next one. And so you have to collectively progress through all of these letters before you run out of rounds to give clues. At the very end, if everyone can make a word using their own letters and or potentially letters from the center, everyone wins. And that's the trick. You don't need to make an, the word you are given, but you just need to make a word of the exact number of letters you started with. I found this to be a very succinct game, mechanically speaking, and I'm really looking forward to seeing the actual game come out. And last but not least, I'm also going to talk about Blood on the Clock Tower, because despite the fact I know this game, and despite the fact I know it quite intimately, I got drawn into quite a number of games there. Mostly I was running, 
I would say that in the entire world, I am one of the most experienced storytellers with this game. Stephen Medway, the designer of the game, is probably one of the most experienced, certainly. Evan Donohue, who's one of the people behind the company, I know he's done a lot of games running them at conventions and has had quite a lot of experience with the first basic edition Trouble Brewing. Amy Hawkes, who has been one of the rules monkey helping crunch the game behind the scenes and also the designer behind the script. I know she's got a lot of experience running games, but I've also had a lot of experience running some of the more complicated and intricate scenarios. And I tend to be this person that comes in when Clock Tower is happening and I run games for the other ST so that they can get relief. And that's certainly what happened at this convention. I like it because I get to do some really interesting stuff and sort of showcase what you can do with really good storytelling with this game. And it's worth pointing out that both the main days, Saturday and Sunday, every single demo session got filled out within the first 10 minutes of the, con the convention hall opening. They were absolutely packed. And it was really funny. I got to have a bit of a chat with Quinns from uh, Shut Up and Sit Down. Every time I come back to this game, I have discovered something. And I, I easily have over 200 plays of this game. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I'm, I'm rattling on again about Blood and the Clock Tower, but I am one of its biggest fans. So that's all we have time for today. I'm really happy to have had my time here at Birmingham. I'm now heading off to London for a couple of days. I'm going to check out the games cafes there. Some of them I've seen, but I've been personally invited to check out drafts not droughts, as apparently a bunch of people call it. I will all then be heading over to New York. And again, I'll check out some of the Games Cafe there. In particular, I've been told I really need to check out Hex and Company. I will have the fortunate pleasure of spending some time with some of my friends who are over there in New York, uh, game designers, I mean. I will have the fortunate pleasure of spending some time with the New York game designers while I'm there as we all get ready for Origins. And then... Following that, I'm going straight for Origins to Columbus. If you're enjoying my podcast and I'm improving every single time, you can support me. I have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and I welcome your support, your likes, your reactions, your feedback. You know, I thrive off attention like most of us do. There is a Patreon, as I always mentioned. You can find all of this on my website. So you'll hear back from me next week from New York. And good night.